You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Alex Faulkner, and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent in the NHS, and I'm your host. So, I would like to start with a, a bit of a brief introduction, if that's okay with everyone. I'd love to go around um, the group and get some introductions from yourself. Paul, you are the first person on my left on my screen, so I will go to you first, if that's okay. Could you give us a bit of a brief introduction to who you are and what you do, Paul? So, my name is Paul Chadwick. I'm the Associate Director of Digital for Southport and Ormskirk Hospital. Um, and my role is effectively to um, manage and oversee all of the, the digital strategy throughout, throughout the trust and uh, I work for, for the trust since February last year, so three weeks before COVID happened. So that was um, a, a good introduction to the trust. So that's me. Stuff. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Lisa, do you mind going next? So hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Sewell, Head of Digital Innovation and Delivery at Newcastle Hospitals. I joined in November of last year, mid-pandemic. Um, so yeah, also an interesting start within a new organisation. I've worked in the NHS in a variety of roles across providers, commissioners, primary care networks for about 10 years, previously financial services. Um, I'd describe myself as a, as a change agent. Digital's always been a core part of that, but now um, digital's the principal focus of what I do. So hi, good afternoon. Good stuff. Great. Thank you, Lisa. I see there's a, there's a common trend here, Christine. You're not, you're not going to tell us you joined during a pandemic, are you? It's up to you, Christine, please. No, no, no. I, I've worked at my existing trust for six years, actually. I think my anniversary was either on Friday or it was yesterday because I keep getting lots of congrats via LinkedIn. So that's how I know it's six years. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have forgotten. Um, so I, actually, as you can see, I, I've been doing the job for a while just from my physical appearance. But I um, actually have spent most of my career working in the commercial world, not in the NHS. So I started off as a computer programmer, ended up designing and building and writing IT solutions, but in the food wholesale industry. Uh, then went to join the co-op and one of the things I learned when I worked for the co-op was where there was change, there was opportunity. And in those days, the National Programme for IT was underway and they were talking about mega money. So I thought, well, there you go. There's an opportunity. So I joined the NHS, little realising that the uh, MP fit was a, a damp squid. I was going to fizzle out really quickly. So it wasn't quite the degree of change I'd hoped to find. So I started off joining Salford Royal and I've actually been uh, director of IT at three trusts so this is my third trust. I do sit on the exec um, uh, on the board at the hospital as an exec which gives me I think a really gives me um, a, a reality check makes me understand the importance of what we're doing why we're doing it what are the things that we we need to focus on and if you were to ask any of my staff um, what's Christine's number one driver? If they were to say to you, it's not patient safety, I'd be devastated. So everything we do is about make, keeping patients safe and hopefully making it easier for our clinical colleagues to be able to do that. Uh, I also head up a shared service and provide IT to a chunk of Mid-Mersey, which includes mental health, GPs, community, etc. So that's that's me. Thank you, Christine. I appreciate that. Um, and last but not least, Tracy, if you don't mind, just uh, give us a bit of introduction to the group. That'd be great. 
Yep, no problem. Hello, my name is Tracy Whitfield. I am Head of Digital Solutions Delivery at Leeds Teaching Hospital. Um, I've also been with my current trust for six years um, and similar to Christine prior to, to working in the NHS, I also had a, a private sector background, um, although bizarrely I actually started working in television, so sometimes <laughs> how I ended up here I, I'm still not quite sure, um, but also joined National Programme for IT um, about and unfortunately this is creeping up on me about 15 years ago um so now have sort of worked through various uh, national projects before moving out to an acute sector and again that was driven by um personal impact of my mum had a really bad time with the nhs and i knew we could do things better um so i wanted to work actually at the coal face and and that's the bit that drives me so not quite just patient safety but the the end to end what do patients expect from the nhs and making sure they can get the best that we can give them and using digital solutions to to drive some of those improvements that i know we can make good stuff good stuff well thank you everyone for that is um it's a really good intro and we've got some, like we've got some really good varied sort of careers and backgrounds which is is uh is exactly what we're looking for so if we're going to dive right into it and um, how this is will work is i'll pose the questions to the group and i'll ask that person to maybe just touch up on that more and um, paul i am going to go with your question first if that's okay um just purely because i think it's a, a really good opener so paul would like to pose to the group he asked how are organizations ensuring that the changes that have been made over the past 18 months are being embedded and orgs don't revert to to the way things were. So Paul, do you want to touch on that yourself first? Yeah, definitely. I, I suppose it, it is just having a look at what we have actually achieved over the last 12 to 18 months, because it, it has been significant and we have changed the way the organisation works, certainly from, from where I am in Southport. We, we, we've changed so much and it was, it's at the at, at pace. Um, but I suppose now when you start looking at the figures for, say, video consultations, if people are now allowed back in, some organisations are seeing a dip. Um, so we started off quite quite high and then they're coming down, whereas other organisations are keeping that peak and some are going up. Um, so it is just really is we've shown what we can do in such a small space of time. So why should we stop? Why, why shouldn't we just keep on building on what we're doing? um and it is easy for people to just drop back into well everything's gone back to the way it was Every, everything's gone back to normal now when when we all know it's there's nothing normal about where we are now um and there's nothing normal about where we're going to be so let's continue to build on it so it's it's yeah it's trying to learn from the organizations that are maintaining that peak and even rising on that peak uh, and trying not to be one of those that are that are dropping back down Certainly, certainly from video consultation, but other other means as well, um, because it's easy to do that. Tracy, there's a lot of nodding there from your head. I feel like you have to say something there. So it's really funny that you picked video consultation because of all the projects we put in place, obviously during COVID, that is one of the ones we are seeing a bit of a backwards trend with and, and some of the numbers starting to drop off. And, and I think what we, we're trying to do is approach that from a why perspective. Um, and was it actually that for some areas that is the wrong solution? Um, so, you know, if it if it was the right solution, we'd carry on using it. If it isn't, what is not working about it? Um, so that's that's 
probably the the how we're looking at it is is just going so why are they not wanting to use it there are pockets of really good take up and there are other areas where it's not so much and and again looking at that why one of the things we found the really simple things we have one particular area where wi-fi connectivity unfortunately is poor and that's the reason why it's falling off so actually it's an infrastructure issue that we we need to look into um, so I think for us, the how do you stop it going backwards is find out why it's going backwards and then we can try and tackle some of those issues. Lisa, have you got anything to add there? Again, I can see yeah. you're right at the screen there. You know, I agree with what Tracy said there. I think there's, there's two dimensions to it. There's one, is it as easy as it should be for the clinicians? Are the barriers around connectivity, around integration, around use of the system? One of the things we've done is we've set up um, sort of virtual consultation hubs because we were finding that if if they were accessing the solution in their normal MO, it was then very easy to revert to, well, actually, I'll just see the patient because I'm in clinic and I don't really want to dip between. So what we're trying to do is make sure that it's as easy as possible for the for the clinical teams to access the solution. But then the second piece is behavioural, isn't it, which is even more complex. So, yes, I did that during COVID, but actually I know as a professional that I want to see my patient. So I think we've got to come at it from the two angles um, and really remind them of the benefits. So for me, it's making it as easy as possible in appropriate circumstances, but also using our, we've got a digital health team to, to influence behaviours and introduce a little bit of, dare I say, peer pressure. <laughs> And Christine, have you have you got anything to relate to this at St Helens? Well, we were very lucky. We were actually in the first tranche of the DAP, so that's the Digital Aspirant Programme, and we were very fortunate to be given six million pounds worth of funding. So we found out we got that in February 2020, uh, which was kind of, oh, you know, <laughs> um, so it was great. Um, we had a programme, we had a plan of what we wanted to do. And because we'd had the funding, we'd already signed um, some, you know, certainly with our main EPR supplier, a contract to bring in additional functionality and capability. Uh, and what COVID made us do was to look at that plan and to move things around. So we were fortunate. We were doing telehealth as a, an earlier pilot site. We're one of the first just in the country to do it. So the take up of that through COVID shot through the roof. But we actually brought in quite a few um, digital tools and some organisations that may be listening to this will think this is old hat, but it isn't for us. Our biggest um, challenge has been lack of funding because we're a PFI. So we never have any money for IT. It'll stagger people, but literally our capital spend a year up to recently it's been two million pounds for everything so you know there is so it's been a challenge so uh, the functionality we brought in we actually made sure we deployed it to meet pressing needs around covid and what we found is completely transformed the way the clinicians work so we have something called careflow connect which is a mobile solution and on the solution they can you know so i i know some of my um consultants who are not so enamoured with IT. Um, apparently there was three of them a few weeks ago all stood around looking at the mobiles, talking about the patients, talking about the information, which if you'd have asked me uh, 18 months ago, would have had so many consultants just transferring over. No, but what we did do, we were lucky, we were able to do things that was a pressing need. It made life 
easy for them. It made them to do able to do the job. One of our consultants who's an end of life um, palliative lead, uh, actually for place, not just the hospital, he had to shield for about eight, uh, for nearly 18 months. He's been able to carry out his job entirely from home and seeing patients. Um, handovers, stuff like the amount of time it saves staff. And actually we're getting complaints that we're not rolling things out fast enough. So I, I think it's trying to make sure you bring in things that they need. Um, and it's so good that they don't want to revert back. If you, you know, if you get it right, they won't want to revert back. And that's that's our job. I think it's not delivering the technology, it's delivering technology that works for the clinicians as well as for the patients. That's great. That's great. Paul, does that sort of help in any way and, and sort of give you a bit of more of an insight? No, it, it, it does. And just just one what Christine just said, it it's and a lot of stuff that we that we did during COVID was we looked at it and think if we're putting this in, are we are we still going to want to do it in two years time? Uh, or is it are we just putting this in just to cover us for COVID and then we're we're going we're to get rid of it at the end? So it, it's really it was really for us to look at the digital strategy and say where are we going to do this? Is this in our five year plan? And then as Christine says and that's as we've said on the call is is do the clinicians want it? Because that's the key to longevity, isn't it? Is if the if the clinicians buy into it, if the workforce buy into it, then it's got more legs. Uh, and it and it will keep going and it, and it will be more of a benefit so yes definitely that's a really good Paul uh, really good point Paul um moving on then um Lisa I'm going to come to you because I think your question is is very open and I think um it'll spark a bit of discussion um so I will pose it to, do, to the group and then I will come to you if that's okay um so Lisa has asked how has digital transformation enabled truly collaborative working for the benefit of patients so over to you Lisa because I know this is something you're really passionate about and, and so you know the good stuff you're doing up in Newcastle um so yeah over to yourself so um I think from my perspective, this is one of the the biggest drivers for me. You know, we've talked around patient safety. We've talked around um, giving clinicians time back. But what benefit does it really bring to patients? And I don't know if you've heard of the Great North Care Record. We're all nodding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's been, I suppose, my life's work since I joined a provider trusts in the northeast over the last five or six years and how do you get a group of um, providers who are driven by a set of tariffs and a set of rules to truly work together collaboratively and I think we've achieved that in the in the northeast for, for two reasons one we ensured that the patient was always at the center of the design followed closely by the, cl the clinician and really we built trust and that probably took about 18 months in terms of this isn't something um so the great north care record is hosted by newcastle we've got a team embedded but it's funded by the region and supported by the uh, the ics and in the space of we went live with the great north care record hie there's two components to it in march 2020 absolutely perfect timing in terms of the need for the solution, the need for shared information was readily available. And we've we've hit over three million views. We're doing quarter, quarter of a million views every um, every month. And I think what we've seen is by organizations taking that leap of faith 
agreeing a common governance route, agreeing the data structures and agreeing what information would bring greatest benefit to patient care. We're, we're seeing the benefits of that. So we have information traveling from the ambulances as they're moving to our emergency care departments, which means as the patient arrives, obviously they've got that information available. That's resulting, which is a big pressure for us all right now, in a reduction of time to treat from say four hours to 90 minutes, because that information's available and the patient can be directed to the right place. Um, so yeah, I was just really interested in terms of how other areas approach it, how you get that commitment. Um, Northeast North Cumbria is, is the largest patch in terms of geography. It's quite diverse in terms of um, a lot of urban deprivation and then huge areas of um, rurality. And uh, just welcome your thoughts on the importance of, of collaboration, really. I'm not going to labour the point on the Great North Care Record. I can sell you on it and share you loads of information <laughs> later. But how do you, in your particular regions, make sure that you're looking outside the immediate trust and truly collaborating, not with an umbrella of collaboration, but the true working together with other organisations? Thanks, Lisa. Christine, am I OK to come to you first? Because I know I don't know if everyone knows in this group. But I know you and Paul may do a bit of work together um, across organisations. So I thought it'd be good to come to you first. OK, I think I think where you are with the North Care record, Lisa, I think you're way in advance of the rest of the country and we're all very jealous. I think most of us are still busy trying to catch up. So um, so I don't think I think every uh, place in the country is at a different stage of collaboration and they're better at collaborating on some things than others. So Cheshire Merseyside is the second biggest ICS in the country, but it's the most got more organisations than anybody else. We've got more providers than anyone else. We've got more places than anyone else. So it's very complex and we have a vast amount of tertiary organisations where patients come in and out of the other hospitals. So um, we've got a shared care record, but it's nowhere near as advanced as you, Lisa, and we, look, we are looking to put a, a system in. So um, it's only very recently, Paul and I um, have literally just started to meet. We were looking at how we collaborate more closely across as organisations to support the challenges that we have. Um, so I, I think everywhere is very different, but uh, where... Paul's organisation is you, you've got you've got the oldest population in the country haven't you you've got more re retired people than anywhere else so it's obviously it's it is a lovely place to live Southport and Ormskirt but it's it has different challenges and it also is quite remote I think it's fair to say it's not the easiest of places to get to uh, on public transport but the great thing is we've got some really strong building blocks to help us to work together because we've got the same EPR and some of the same suppliers. So we're looking to see how we can um, uh, utilise the things that each of us have done. So, for example, um, hopefully um, we're going to be looking for a new critical care solution for the hospital. So the first thing we've done is gone to talk to Paul to say to Paul, well, what have you currently got? Does it make sense that we can? And you're doing the same with ourselves. Um, and we've appointed, um, last Friday, we appointed a joint maternity project manager who's going to help us do all the new digital maternity stuff that's coming out. So we're, we're collaborating more at a local level, um, but hopefully that will bring a lot of benefits to both our organisations and, and to our clinicians. So I, I don't want to say too much more because, you know, I, 
quite keen that Paul kind of comments on it before I say everything. Paul, do you want to on the back of that? Do you want to add your bit? No, it, it is. As, as Christine says, we, we have so many similarities between the two organisations, then it, it doesn't make sense not to collaborate. Um, certainly when I've, I've, I've come into post over the last, so I came in in February and it's quite difficult to, to understand you know, who people are. And so all the collaboration that we've done as a CIO group in Cheshire and Mersey has been fantastic for me as a as a learning group, but also to understand what's out there in terms of uh, the Cheshire and Mersey and, and doing the links. Um, and the, the, the new partnership agreement that's put together between ourselves and SDHK, that just allows us to build on what SDHK are, are doing as a, an outstanding organisation. Let's bring some of that best practice across. Uh, and, and vice versa, and said so we, we both learn from each other uh, just from there. In terms of the things like shared care record, what makes what makes us a little bit more complex is uh, one of our trusts sits in uh, Cheshire Mersey SDP, and another and another hospital sits in um, Blanks and South Cumbria ICS. So we've got two separate um, STPs ICSs that have different priorities, uh, and you've got little old outputs sitting in the middle trying to try and say well we understand that how important we are in this and we understand the flow of our patients and we haven't got a small patient population the the the, the, the quite a diverse group but they, they still expect the same kind of care um and my old organization i came from a ccg in manchester so we had the, the gm care record and we were we, we were putting that together and um i did a lot of work with the uh, social care um and you can see how the links between each of the organisations and the breakdown of how the, how a patient is passed from one organisation flows into another organisation and where the data stops in between. So that's why it's kind of important where you are defining what data each organisation needs um, because it's not a case of just saying, well, well, like we've got all this information, it's well, what do you want and what can actually be beneficial for that patient journey. Um, and myself and Christine are going to do that at a local level, certainly for Southport and Ormscare patients, because it's so what are our priorities in terms of STHK? What are our priorities in terms of the trust? And we'll combine those priorities and say, well, what data do you have? Uh, and then we'll share on, on the same level, because things like the, the St. Helens care record that Christine's leading, leading on at the moment, um, that is the, the the basis of what the GM care, care record was. So, you know, why wouldn't we want to to jump on board with that? Why wouldn't we want to um, start sharing into that? Because at the end of the day, you can see how it benefits patients. You can see how it benefits that patient journey. And if it gets the patient from A to B and all through the system with as least disruption and, and the most efficient, then that's what we should all be going for. Great, great. Uh, I think, sorry to jump in again, but I think, you know, the social care point's really valid. So I think historically, and, you know, as part of the, the, the national programme work, sort of social care has been the poor relation, but we've seen some of the greatest benefit from the information that they've shared or the access to information. And one of the most pleasing patient stories we had was a, a, a gentleman who'd been admitted for surgery and we've all heard the stories, haven't we? You know, you're asked for your name at every touch point. Can you confirm whether you've got any allergies? You're going in for surgery, you're anxious, you're nervous. And he, he just said that it made a difference to his experience 
but also the experience of his family. And that's priceless, isn't it? When you, you know, you multiply that up by, I don't know, 100,000 patients in a month. It's just the right thing to do. Definitely. Thanks, that, Lisa. And, and Tracy, what about you in, in Leeds and up in the lovely Yorkshire? How, how are things with you? Can you relate? Oh, massively. So Leeds has its own care record and, and has a very good link across different organisations. So we bring in social care, community health information, uh, mental health information. There's open referrals can be viewed across organisations. But we have gone at place level, if you like, of that is Leeds. And one of the things we are now doing, obviously, we, we've also been part of the the local care exemplar program. Um, so there is work across the whole of the region now to look at how do we expand out and do something similar um, uh, using some of the, sort of the, the sharing practices that we've had in place for a while. Uh, care records are absolutely my pet subject. My very first project in the NHS was working on the, the National Programme for IT's shared care record service. Um, it didn't deliver what we hoped it would and it's taken an awful long time to get to where we are now with actually being able to share the information that patients already assume we share and that that's the biggest frustration of my life is patients already think we do this why aren't we um so i think absolutely the benefits of sharing across organizations are, are well documented i think you know we've, we've again the similar experiences from what lisa's been describing of patients who we can prove where we've made a difference because oh hang on a minute we can see that information from that organization and this is where it affects their gps contacting us to say oh yeah we've got this notification through the local care record and and you know we picked up something and and again hundreds of examples of of the different people involved with the patient's care contacting us almost to say this is different or we want to change this or this is where we can see some benefits um, I don't know how we we ran the NHS for 70 years before we shared records, to be honest. Um, it's no wonder we have had some of the problems we've had. This is absolutely the right way to be going. Thank you, that, Tracy. Does that um, answer a bit of your question, Lisa, or give you some assurance around this sort of subject? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all in vehement agreement that it's the right thing to do and we, we recognise that it's challenging. I think um, Paul's, you know, the ICS boundaries, when is a region a region? So we're, we're having similar conversations at the moment with um, South Cumbria about how we bring them in because obviously there's patient flows there and then also working with the North West about how we connect all these different shared care records because the pathways are complex, but cross cross borders particularly challenging, as is Scotland. But yeah, thank you for that. No worries. Thank you for for posing the question, Lisa. Um, Tracy, I'm going to come to you next because back to a, a bit of a COVID question. Um, but Lisa, uh, but Tracy, I will come back to you. But I just posed a question. Um, Tracy asked, "Can digital transformation within the NHS continue at the pace seen during the early stage of the pandemic?" So. I'll come back to you, Tracy. Do you want to maybe explain a few of the things you did at the pace? Because I know it's just been crazy the past 18 months and, and how quick everything's happened and just a bit of your general thoughts around it. Yeah, I think, and it's a very similar question in some ways to, to the one that Paul asked at the beginning about are we doing the right things and how do you do you keep it going? I think, you know, we we saw some really fantastic practice in the pace we can move when everybody is heading in the same direction during the early part of COVID. And we delivered projects in a fraction of the time it would normally take us to deliver. 
we're starting to slip back to the projects are now taking a lot longer. Um, and I, I know from our perspective, for me, the biggie is money. That is what made the difference. Um, but again, I'm, I'm interested to know whether that's the same for everybody else. We can go at pace if you fund us to go at pace. But if you take all our funding away, that was the extra COVID money, yet we're back to the same old processes. Or whether there's anything anybody has been able to learn that means we might be able to go faster. Christine, would you like to share your, your thoughts on that? So, um, do I think we can go at the same pace? Um, no, because I think we had, um, it was a crisis once. It, and what my experience of the NHS is it's brilliant when there's a crisis. It responds like nobody else. So I always say with my team, if, there's ever, if there was a crisis, I wouldn't want anybody else around me because they're amazing when we get a, a major system outage. And they were brilliant when we responded to COVID. I think one of the things that COVID has, has made everybody realise how important technology is, how reliant they are on it. And even people that don't like technology <laughs> recognise that. And I think the government is quite open. They can see those organisations who are best um, able to cope with the uh, recovery that we're now in are those that are uh, and cope best with COVID with those that were more digitally mature. So there is actually quite a lot of technology funds coming out for the first time for a long time. I think the challenge is actually knowing about it and giving a fair time to submit your bids in and making sure that you spend the money on the right things. So I generally think we will make much faster progress than we would have done without COVID. Don't think it's sustainable to do it um, and not so, the sort of things we were doing tend to be more about, um, you know, infrastructure type things, telehealth, but it isn't the big applications uh, because everywhere has got to deliver service in a very, very different way. I think the challenge we're going to have is I do think funding will come through. I think the challenge will be the suppliers being able to support all these organisations with all these demands and the money. I think that's a big problem for us. Uh, I think also the other issue is local resources. It's getting that expertise. Can I get project managers? It's so difficult, business analysts. So just getting the pizza, so even if you can get the supplier, getting the teams that you need around you locally. And I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. Up to now, staff haven't moved. I've got the lowest turnover and lowest sick rate in the organisation in my department. I know that. 99% of my, uh, of my outside of health records of my staff work from home still, uh, which is quite amazing, but that they're able to do that. But you know, IT is in demand, not just in the NHS, it's in demand across all sorts of sectors. I think we're really going to struggle to keep the best and the suppliers are coming in and taking the best out of the NHS at the moment because they can offer much more uh, attractive packages than we can. I know we can offer pensions and stuff, but when you're, when you're uh, relatively young and you've got a family to support, having money coming in there and then. So I, I, th I think we've got loads of challenges. Um, we always overcome these things, but I, I honestly don't think we will be able to do things at the pace that we did. But I, it's fantastic. We've now got people banging at the door, though, asking for things who didn't pre-COVID. I think that's another great thing that's come out of COVID. I think it's a really valuable point, Christine. And obviously, from a recruitment perspective, we're seeing the absolute, you know, it's really tough to attract talent at the moment purely because of Look at lorry drivers, you know, lorry drivers are now the hardest in the band. So when it comes to niche tech individuals, it's 
10 times harder than that. So I think it's a really good point. Uh, I think it's something not a lot of people, you know, necessarily think about. Lisa, what, what's your thoughts? Can we go back to how we were? It depends how far back we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that the level of the pace isn't sustainable because, you know, like the, the frontline clinical staff, everybody has been working, you know, 110% for a very long time. And I think in light of what Christine's describing and we're experiencing this, you know, when you do secure funding, can you find the right people? It's really, really challenging. And I'd be interested if there's, you know, there's anything we could do in the centre to kind of lobby that, how are we going to develop the right individuals? Because they talked about the Digital Academy. That was a thing for a while. I don't know if that's still in place. How do we grow that talent? So I, I would agree we don't have the talent we need. The demand and expectations are relentless. And I think there's a real danger across our sector in our particular world over the next six months we need to carefully manage expectations and really get the organization to think about what the priorities are so i know paul alluded to kind of that resetting the strategy what is it we're taking forward over the next five years and the understanding of the organization as to what digital is is really important so absolutely suppliers will they have the capacity certainly in niche areas like maternity you know the the demand's relentless the the closed loop space scan for safety that area is you know there's a huge demand in that space so supply and the quality of supply staff huge issue that needs to be addressed collectively i think um, and i take your point around the attractiveness of the nhs is changing and if you're offered an opportunity in a in a different sector that brings you immediate reward and can guarantee ongoing professional development and a clear career path, you know, we are going to lose good people. That said, I don't think we should revert to pre-COVID. I think um, the pandemic has given us the opportunity to do it at pace. And I think there was probably a little bit too much planning too much let's do it waterfall let's make sure that we've got you know we've engaged every single individual before we start i think we've learned that we don't need to do that so i think we can probably if we get the supplier uh, the supply chain right and the right resources we should probably run about 75 percent of where we were but keep up the momentum but recognize the value of our people who deliver that for us. I think it's a great point, Lisa. I think it's really great. And and, and Paul, over to yourself, anything to add? Um, I think Lisa touched on the point there about the, the NHS Digital Academy. And I'll, I'll give it a nod because I, I was on cohort two of the Digital Academy. Uh, and what that did was that made the link between what clinicians did and what digital staff did. Um, and it said, these are the problems that we've got. And some of the things that might seem like science fiction to you, like the um, population health, the analytics, all of that, it's not that far away. Um, and I think in terms of pace, um, certainly from a digital word, if you look at our data centers, they've normally got a three to five year lifespan, and then we do something else. <laughs> um, and that's how fast we kind of have to change anyway as, as digital people, because, because we never stand still. And this is 
I suppose we look at back at MP Fit and we look at how far along the rest of the world has gone uh, since then, is the NHS has kind of seen as laggard. So we have to do something to kind of maintain that kind of pace, not the same pace that we'll ever do in, in COVID. But I think what, what will help now is clinicians know what we can do. Clinicians know the solutions as to what we can do and how we can help them. Certainly what we've done locally to try and keep that pace going is our CCIO um, chairs a clinical digital board. Um, and each month we get 20 to 30 clinicians that attend that board just because they want to, just because they're interested in what they're doing. And it's a forum for them to come and say, this is what this is what you're doing, but can we can we do something in, in my area as well? Because, you know, you've helped them. And they're the digital service, so can you help me now? I think where we do fall down is capital. Um, everything's in capital funding, so you have to. It has to be done within that that year period. And whereas what we need to do is develop an innovation funds that is accessible throughout the year um, and help schemes run over into the next year. And we have to get a little bit more sensible in terms of that funding because ultimately it gets to the end of the year and the, the, there's money available. But we want to we want to keep that going, um, and unless until we get a little bit more sensible in how money is available to organisations, then we're never going to maintain that pace because you never know where the money is going to come from. I think it's a really good point, Paul. And I see Christine's got a hand raised, but I just wanted to ask you a question: If you if COVID hadn't have happened, do you think you would have still have got that attraction from as many clinicians that you you mentioned now with that post, or would that not be a thing right now? I think I think it would have done because there's a lot of focus on building um, digital in the NHS. So I think it, it would have come, but just not at the pace of what it did. Mm. Uh, and I think that's that's where it comes because there's lots of reviews that have been done in the the NHS, all the, the top all reviews, um, and thing about where we're going to be in five, ten years, but also around the digital workforce mm. uh, and skilling up the digital workforce because it's all well and good us putting in science fiction kind of solution if no one knows how to use it then <laughs> they'll fall back to using pen and paper yeah. uh, so we have to bring people along with us um, at the same time as because it's one thing to be fast delivering solutions it's another thing taking people with us and that's yeah. a cool thing as well definitely it's a really good point christine i can see you there though you kindly raise your hand there no, I just wanted to um, um, add on to what Paul said about the capital, because that's always been a challenge for me here. So um, we had to replace our 26-year-old PAS ED and order comms solution because the supply wouldn't support it anymore. And to find that money for the organisation was massive. They did, um, uh, but we've managed to build on it because we've managed to get technology funds. I think the great thing about the digital aspirant program is it was designed so it didn't have to be all capital. It could be a mixture of capital and revenue and you could spread it out over three years. That was for the first cohort. I don't know whether the, the rules are still the same, but that was the result of actually, to be fair, that was Matthew Gould. He went around and met lots of CIOs and lots of people and chief execs. And I had the uh, and, and it was a pleasure to meet him and to, to express our 
frustrations and our challenges and he actually listened. So the digital aspirant programme came out from him talking to people on the ground. And Paul's absolutely right. The pots that are coming down, they want you to spend the capital in year. And if you can't spend it in year, you can't, uh, you know, you can't draw down the, the, the funds. It's it needs to be done differently, not just for the digital aspirant programme, but I think for all for all technology funds. I don't think it's all for the NHS's fault. I do think a lot of this is to do with Treasury. I think some of the things is, is outside of people's uh, people's control. Thanks, Christine. Tracy, that sparks a lot of uh, a lot of discussion there for your question. Did that answer some of your sort of thoughts, ideas? It did. It made me feel not quite so pessimistic when <laughs> I answer the question because I, I think my answer was no, we can't keep going at the pace we're going for all of the reasons that everybody around this table has, has, has said the same reasons in the back of my mind but i don't want us to go back to the over planning why does it take us 18 months to do something we know we can do in six months but we go through 54 committees to to make a decision and i that's the one thing i am pushing really hard against let's not go back to that um it doesn't take away the staffing issues the resource issues the skill issues all of those things are still there um and and in some areas are getting probably slightly worse as obviously we start to recover people are starting to go back to work and looking for new roles and what does new ways of working open up um you know the fact that people are no longer necessarily tied to having to go into an office I, i've seen a huge amounts of movement of people moving geographically because they don't have to go into an office in the city center anymore and now work 200 miles away from where they live because they can that opens up possibilities and I think that's great and I, I absolutely want to, us, us to be able to embrace that and make the most of it. Um, but we are competing with the, every other sector out there and unfortunately we don't have the biggest pot of money. Um, so there's, it is a challenge but but yeah. yeah, I feel less pessimistic. That's good. That's good. Well, thanks, Tracy. Well, I'm, I'm conscious of time, so um, we'll go on to the last question. Um, this is from Christine. It's a bit of a lengthy one, this one, Christine. So you, you're testing my uh, my nasals here with my cold, but I will do my best to read it out as clearly as possible, and then I'll come back to you, Christine. Um, so Christine has written, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a huge impact on how hospitals can deliver care, and the NHS reports that now over 5 million people are on waiting lists for hospital treatment with much longer waiting times than anyone else is used to or wish for. Hospitals want to see patients treated as quickly and as safely as possible to reduce these waiting lists. Technology has played a huge part during the pandemic with solutions quickly rolled out and adopted by clinicians and patients alike to enable care to continue to be delivered. What role do you see digital solutions and applications have to play in the recovery for elective care? So I'll come back to you first Tracy and um, Christine sorry come back to you first if you want to expand on that dive into it a bit more and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the waiting list is scary. The numbers that they're quoting in the press is, is you know, they're saying like 10 years was to catch up. And I know from my own organisation, uh, the numbers are huge. Um, but I recognise that, you know, we as a digital community, we need to respond to that pressure. We need to focus our, our you know, our expertise and everything else to try and help them identify those patients with the greatest needs. Uh, and you know with urgent needs and those patients that have then got urgent needs what can they do to make sure they get the best outcomes for them and I know this sounds a little bit controversial but sometimes for some patients going through 
12 hours of surgery and, and going into critical care isn't the best thing for them. And it's making sure it's not just that the technology is there, it's actually that the information is provided and it's provided in a way that the clinicians and our operation colleagues can schedule the the, the procedures and the services they need to do to ensure that the patients who need it most get the care as quickly as possible. And I think the great thing we've got at the moment, and this has come from COVID where people have worked differently and in different areas, is there is there is absolutely a, an understanding and an appetite and a desire by our clinical colleagues to support working in a different way. So the workforce has got to be supported to be able to work not for a single organisation anymore, you know, but not even for two organisations, but potentially a lot across greater footprints. So we've got a responsibility um, to make sure we respond, provide the information so that whatever information is required about a patient, regardless of where they're being treated, and they might be being treated by two or three different organisations in that one, um, you know, one episode of care that we, we are able to work together to ensure that that happens. So we thought we had a lot to do with COVID. I think that was just a, a taster of what we're now going to have to respond with. Thanks, Christine. Uh, Lisa, would you like to start us off on your thoughts? Well, I think without di digital, we're not going to recover, are we? In terms of that ability to really analyse and understand. I mean, we're, I suppose we're fortunate in that we've got a single EPR, so for, for in our acute setting, it's about reconfiguration of work lists. It's about prioritising those lists. It's about giving real time dashboards so people can see um, the progress that they're making. Um, but it's around clarity of the priority. I think that's the biggest challenge. In terms of how do we communicate that in a consistent enough way that allows us to design a solution to attack that particular issue and keep the focus. So I think for me, that's the biggest challenge. The technology can do whatever we ask it to do, however simple or however sophisticated using um, automation or, or, or other techniques. But what's the objective? I think for me is what we need to be really clear on. Okay, and Paul? I don't know if that helps or not, Christine. <laughs> Paul, any thoughts? Yeah, we're going through the same process of stratifying our patients to find out which, you know, which ones are the more urgent. But in reality, everyone is on that waiting list for a reason. So, you know, it's while while we will bring people in at a, at a faster rate, there's still that, that that big waiting list that we're having to deal with. Then where technology kind of helps with there is those patients that are on that waiting list and how we can support those patients on the waiting list to do you know do, do we do apps or do we do we do remote monitoring to do, do all the, the PIFU work that that we're doing because i know person in my personal life i know there's uh, a person that I've, I've dealt with that's been on a waiting list for over 12 months and when she finally got to the front of that waiting list they said not much we can do now but there's things there's things that you know things like the physio physiotherapy msk departments can kind of support support people with just techniques and you know reaching out to people over the phone um giving them apps giving them giving them exercises that they can do so they're not getting seen yet but they're getting the support 
support from the trust, they're getting the support from the organisations, and they're not getting as worse as though they're just getting sitting there doing nothing. We're helping them, um, you know, so they don't deteriorate, you know, as as quickly as what they would without it. And I think that's where technology kind of comes in useful because, you know, we can reach out, we can we can put a lot of things out there. The technology fund that's being put out there now is it's the I think it's a billion pounds in the the H two planning guidance that's that's released this week. But it's not a quick fix. It's not. It's got not going to sort the problems out in the next couple of months. Uh, they'll help us definitely, but we have to look at what we're doing in the long term, um, and that's where we have to get a little bit creative. I think it's a really good point. And, and Tracy, do you see what is waiting list of concern at Leeds? You know what? What's it like over for you guys? So I think we we've been doing a lot of work obviously like everybody else uh, about our recovery uh, and bizarrely we, we actually got some figures through last week around sort of where we're at and on, on certain of our departments we're back to pre-covid levels of, of availability but the challenge is actually using that availability and utilizing it to its maximum capacity because of the number of dnas that we're getting through of either patients not feeling comfortable to come into the hospital or just choosing not to come in or they've missed their appointment etc and and we know that digital has a place in that there have been studies over the years you know if we send out a simple sms message to remind somebody of their appointment or we engage with them beforehand and give them some choices about that appointment about when it is you can reduce um, dna rates from eight percent to four percent you can halve them and and digital has a place in that and and you know continuing to and that's a really simple thing it's sms text messaging i think that most just have done a level of at some point but it's add to that what else can we do that makes pay it better for patients to get in when is appropriate for them to get in um absolutely yes there's no quick fixes we can't just overnight come up with a way that's going to suddenly increase increase capacity there isn't enough nurses to just suddenly increase capacity so we have to be able to support to make the most of what we've got and support the patients that are then waiting um we hold masses of data i think you know nhs is probably one of the richest data sources anywhere on the planet of information we don't necessarily use it well enough um you know i think absolutely that whole thing of looking across a patient's history you know i'm seeing that consultant this week and tomorrow i'm over there and i'm the day after i'm seeing somebody else actually it doesn't take a lot to look at a patient record and go they need three appointments bring them to the trust once and get get them to see everybody while they're here it takes a bit more joined up thinking and we have to plan ahead but those sorts of things yes absolutely digital has a place to play a part to play um it is just down to you know can we can we plan it ahead can we you know focus on that amongst everything else we're trying to do but yeah we definitely have a part to play thanks tracy now come back to you christine then as, as you posed the question to the group did some of that resonate with you is that what how you find things how's that how's that match no it, no it definitely resonates and i think we've all got similar challenges i think 
Uh, Lisa's organisation is quite unusual because yours is massive. You know, you're like nearly not far off an, an ICS in, in your own right. So <laughs> um, I, I don't. I, I think for most organisations, we don't have the answers within single organisations anymore. And I think we have to recognise that these things have to be tackled at, at a wider collaborative footing. So whether that's a number of hospitals or whether that's the whole ICS. Uh, and I think patients are going to have to get used to the idea that they'll go somewhere for all the diagnostics and we do need to get a one-stop shop for that some of the problems is people have got great ideas but we haven't got the clinicians to continue to support the existing organizations um, and do these new innovations so that the biggest problem i think everywhere the nhs is at the moment is not having enough of the right expertise and skills whether it's clinical and and the support services i do think ai ai is going to have a massive impact i do think bot software is going to have a massive impact but where are the people going to come from to do the ai and do do the bot software and and i always think with patients you can use surgical robots, you can use AI to read um, radiology reports and do, you know, read, read scans and do radiology reports, but it still needs a human being. Somebody still needs to sense check that. And we have to spend the time to be able to see uh, whether it's virtually or face to face to make sure that we we talk those things through with patients. So I just think it's it's the biggest challenge the NHS has absolutely ever have. I do think it's much bigger than COVID. I think COVID was scary. I know it's still ongoing, but I think this is a challenge and the scale of it is phenomenal. I do think the NHS has the capability to respond. What I'm concerned about is that the centre might throw a load of money at it very quickly and that money will get spent, but not have the effect that it needs, needs to. Um, it needs to be more joined up, I think. Um, and we can't just look at there's a specialty over here and a specialty over there. We need to be considering things across wider than just individual specialties, in, in my humble opinion, anyway. No, that's great. That's great, Christine. Thank you for that. Lisa, I can see you've very kindly raised your hand there. Oh, you're mute, Lisa. I thought we'd get through the whole. So there's going to be one, wasn't there? There has to be one. I've taken that for the team, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> um, I think it's absolutely right. Why would we distribute a huge amount of investment across the entire NHS England family to solve a problem in a disparate way? So for me, where are these digital conversations happening at the right levels? So Christine, you might come up with a great solution tomorrow that would work across the entire NHS, where is that shared? So that Tracy doesn't invent it tomorrow, Paul the following day, and I'm sitting scratching my head going, how do we solve that? So I think it's how do we, it, you know, in the same way that I posed the question around collaboration earlier around individual organisations, how do we genuinely share best learning? Because it doesn't really matter what the application is. The objective is the same. And just listening to everybody's slightly different take on the issue, you know, supporting the patients through that waiting period. I mean, I'm sure your staff are the same. They're, they're tearing the hair out, trying to manage people's expectations. The stress level for the, you know, the people taking the calls is huge. So why aren't we sharing best practice? 
It's a really Ale- good point. Alex, if, if you can solve that one. <laughs> if I solve that one, you'll all be my best friend. No, I think it's a really, really good point, Lisa. And I think it's a, a really good point to end on. Um, oh, Christine, there, please, I was please ju- I was just, just going to come in here. So that was what the GDE is all about. That's what the DAP's about in terms of blueprinting. But I also, that isn't the only answer. And you're right, Lisa, but we, I think as a digital community, we need to go knocking in each other's doors and try and find out before, before we reinvent the wheel as well. Do you think people do that enough, though, Christine, that knock on the doors? I don't think so. No, no. No, it's a really interesting point, and um, I can see it's also you nodding, and it's maybe some a cultural thing within the NHS that may change over time. Um, but I think it's a, a really good point to sort of end and reflect on. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you all. 